Hey guys, this is Tom O'Pennekick, and you're listening to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. Previously on the Galactica Quorum. So is Hera the true future because she is the child of a non-Final Five and a human, whereas Nikki and potentially Starbuck are not? I'm curious why Hera gets significance and Nikki does not. Where are they going to go from here? Where are the writers going to take us? They could go anywhere. And now we're at that stage. Next episode, where are they going to go? What conflicts are they going to have? Is Cavill's fleet going to show up? When they go looking for a new star system, what are they going to find? Will the crew go along with it? Are they just too mopey about it? Really? You're really going to go there? Say, well, we can do it this way, or we can do it that way. Come the frack on! <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Galactica Quorum! It's a frackin' podcast. It's a frackin' podcast about Battlestar Galactica. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. And then there's an echo chamber. <laughs> right. Somehow, from last week, we have shed a bunch of quorum members. Zarek-like, we've, we've gotten rid of all our obstacles, and it's just you and me. And that kills me, because... It's a juicy episode to discuss, good or bad. Yeah. We have a website that is galacticacorum.com and an email that's gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. We have a voicemail, 301-358-5175, to leave a message with comments or questions. On our website, we have forums for you to check out the discussion of all the things that are going on with the show and other sci-fi shows. We have a Facebook page, and we have a Twitter account that you can find by looking up Galactica Quorum. Just want to mention, I don't do this very often, but we do have a place to donate on our website. So if you'd like to uh, show your appreciation for the show, you can throw us something via that link. What's it worth for you for a season of Battlestar coverage? Sending us to all these places, Dragon Con, Los Angeles, enough said. Okay. I want to point out up front that we have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast for this Battlestar episode. We will not have any spoilers. We will speculate aplenty. Before we get to discussing this episode, we have a voicemail that mentions the previous episode, and we'll play that now. Hey, Galactica Quorum peeps. Mike James from uh, Let's Watch Movies. I've been lurking, listening to your show for a very long time. You guys do a great job, and I, I have to weigh in. On this first episode for the last stretch of Battlestar Galactica, for so long, all I've heard on uh, uh, you know on your show and uh, there's a couple other Battlestar Galactica shows and all my friends that listen to Battlestar watch Battlestar Galactica, uh, who's a fifth Cylon? Who's a fifth Cylon? Who's a fifth? That's all you ever hear. There's charts and wolves. I mean, you wouldn't believe the things people have done trying to figure out who the fifth Cylon is. This episode was so well-written and acted. It had such powerful scenery and imagery that when we find out who the fifth Cylon is, it's a great scene in and of itself, but it pales to the rest of the episode, and it just shows how quickly what we thought was the most important thing in the world to find out really wasn't what we you know the the satisfaction is there but somehow the rest of the episode believe it or not overshadowed it and uh i was absolutely amazed the best hour of episodic television i have seen in a very long time love the show guys hope you find something to do after the show's over keep it up i will say though 
especially coming off this episode, there's got to be a better payoff with Ellen being the fifth Cylon than what we're getting so far. It can't end with just saying, this is her, and then Lee going, you know, screwing up and saying, she's dead. Something's missing because I'm feeling a little unfulfilled right now. Well, the pattern of the show often seems to be that they introduce something and then they abandon it for an episode or two or four and come back to it. Hera being the big one. So maybe they will come back to that. Who's Hera? (laughs) The episode we're going to be talking about did not have a lot of Starbuck, but just to bring up the issue of Starbuck. And in the last podcast, Dimitri was wondering why we couldn't consider her as the fifth Cylon because seeing her body there, that means a resurrection of sorts. And so that would mean that she could be a Cylon. I think the answer to that is it was there right in our face when she had the dog tags and the ring in her hand is that doesn't resurrect. It was something weird that made there be a duplication or another instance, another entity of her, not a resurrection. It wasn't her climbing out of a tub of goo. It was her with the same suit, the same articles of clothing, the same jewelry, everything. And that is not the same as resurrection. That is different. And that's what spooked Leoben. And that's why she is not a final five silent. Now, if she's something else like a angelic figure or some weird Doctor Whoish time traveling thing, I don't know, but I don't find her to be an equation for Final Five. Right. Or Silent. Well, either way, Leoben fell, that would spook him. If he fell in a Final Five or if he fell in a One God, that would spook him. Because she was, you're right, if she died, she was supposed to be gone. We have some email and posts on our website that I'll bring up. One is from Pike talking about the Cylon Earth. He writes, Remember, Felix stated that all visible, with emphasis on visible, all visible constellations match. That seems like the kind of thing that writers insert carefully. We also have yet to see a recognizable continent or even the moon. I'm still thinking it's not our Earth. Last episode, we stated that I'm starting to think that that Earth that they found was not true Earth. He brings up the moon, though, which I think is another really good point. I think the moon is key that they did not show that at all. I think it'd be really cool if the money shot, if they do find real Earth, won't be so much showing the planet, but having the moon slip into the frame. That is just as recognizable as North America, really. Yeah, that's starting to criticize me now. You're right. The prophecy said it was a colony that left. And now they're saying they found the an Earth full of Cylons. So, yes, the Cylons might have thought that was Earth if they were also based off of that prophecy. Another note we have from... Esteban, he writes, there's been a great deal of speculation leading up to the reveal of the fifth of the final five is Ellen and the clues pointing to her. Some of those clues coming from the Last Supper image, like the cup and her poison death by Saul Tai. However, there's an interesting fact that I have not heard mentioned. The empty spot at the table is a location occupied by Judas in the original painting by Da Vinci. This seems particularly interesting in retrospect, since we know that Ellen, like Judas, was guilty of betrayal. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it seems too coincidental that the empty seat would correspond to such an infamous disciple. I hadn't heard that one before, but if that's true, then that's a very good observation. Mm-hmm. It almost makes me wish that they had decided to go with Zarek as the fifth Cylon, because that would open up a whole cool set of things. Like the guy who was being the instigator against the colonies, thinking he was just doing it for good, is actually found to be a Cylon. So suddenly, talk about changing the dynamic of how a whole group of people feel about someone. Right. Ever since the Cylon Earth reveal came along, people are trying to come to grips with what may be the path of humanity, either if it was from Earth and they recolonized, or they first colonized the 12 colonies, or what direction it was. I don't know if we have that information yet, but I don't tend to think that humans 
were made or came from the descendants of Silent Earth. But I do think something which is kind of a tangential theory is regarding the skin jobs and especially the final five. But I'm now starting to think the Cylon skin jobs are not purely, quote, Cylon. I think we've been asking ourselves for a long time, how do the toasters advance their technology to make skin jobs? How did these guys in metal suits come up with this thing where they found the way to make something organic? It's completely different from before. But what if they didn't? What if the skin jobs somehow landed in their laps in some way? The ongoing Final Five history makes me think they may have voluntarily attached themselves to the current Cylons. So they're all Cylons, but maybe they attach themselves somehow. Different angle on that that I was thinking of during the episode. It just struck me as so weird when Gaeta and the, the nurse or whatever were having that discussion about the Cylons getting attention immediately. And one of them looked at, I think it was Tyrrell, and said, oh yeah, the freaking toaster needs attention or something. And I'm like, calling him a toaster doesn't make any sense whatsoever. To refer to the skin jobs as toasters, it really comes across as a bigoted kind of name. And that, and right. maybe that's why they're doing it. But I'm like, they're so obviously not toasters. They're as human as you are, especially now that they can actually die. I mean, not even the final five, but the, you know, the other ones. Mm-hmm. And just one more note about the, the final five and their legacy over time. This brings back Leoben's line from the beginning of season four, a really quick line, but he said, what their eyes must have seen witnessed over time. And at the time, I thought that was a very key line veiled with lots of implications and possibilities. And now it seems to me that Leoban, at least, somehow has an idea that they have a long history. Okay, I see where you're going. But my thought on that is when they're looking at the baby, Six makes the thing about how this is the future of the Cylon race. This has never happened before. Mm -hmm. Okay, if they've never happened before like this... How did you populate a whole Cylon Earth over the time and then have them advance to the point where they nuked each other? Right. How did all those Cylons get on Earth if this is the first time? So you're right. So maybe then if I'm talking about it, maybe that leads back to Logan saying we've been like this forever. But then again, that would completely divorce the human Cylons from the metal Cylons. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be that the toasters created the skin jobs. Mm-hmm. It would be that the skin jobs existed first. It goes back to maybe the Cylons were a colony that the name Cylon got attached to the metal that was created. And now, for some reason, all Cylons are bad. Like, people forgot over time that they were actually human. God, I could really talk myself into a death <laughs> loop here, in a little death spiral. I guess then it now is a good time for us to roll into our discussion of the current episode which is A Disquiet Follows My Soul. Here's the recap for this week. A little bit easier to write this time than the previous weeks. Good morning, Galactica. Adama's getting ready for another day, but it's getting harder just to get out of bed on some mornings. Nothing a hot shower and a handful of pills can't fix. Speaking of pills, Rosalind has given up on hers, ceremoniously dumping them in the wastebasket. Just after learning his beloved deceased Ellen was the fifth, Ty apparently is ready to move on and trade up for a younger model, literally, going from a milf to a sylph. Doc Cottle is showing him and Caprica the sonogram of their Cylon love child, who, according to Caprica, is the future of the Cylon nation. Sitting nearby, Gaeta's knobby knee hurts, and watching Caprica and Ty make goo-goo eyes at each other isn't improving his disposition. Gaeta just wishes they would get a room, preferably off the ship, or even better, off the fleet. But the Cylons aren't planning on going anywhere. In fact, Tyrrell proposes a plan to the executive officers, and for some reason, grumpy Gaeta, in which the fleet FTL drives are upgraded with Cylon technology. In exchange, they want citizenship and a seat on the quorum. 
The military morale may be in the dumps, but count on the press corps and the quorum to be riled up and feisty as ever. Stoking the fire is Zarek, appealing to the self-obsessed nature of the quorum to make any sort of decision that gives them a sense of empowerment. Little Nikki Tyrrell is having issues. Not just that Hera keeps ignoring him in daycare, but serious medical complications. Tyrrell brings him into sickbay. Carl drops the bombshell that Chief ain't the daddy. But he won't say who, setting up the big mystery of who is the father of this now utterly unimportant child. Rosalind takes a run through the halls of Galactica as the theme of Chariots of Fire plays in the background, while Adama gets his aerobic exercise by strenuously brushing his teeth and popping a few more pills. Adama stops Rosalind and tells her the fleet needs her, but she replies that she's tired of the prophecies and the, quote, fracking blah blah. Hard to argue with that. Starbuck and Gata have a much more contentious confrontation, with both making open threats and not backing down an inch. Starbuck departs, or is it a retreat, leaving Gata free to start sowing dissension among the crew behind closed doors. Tyrrell joins the studio audience for a taping of The Gaius Baltar Show, Segment 1. Are you there, God? It's me, Gaius. Baltar calls out God for screwing with humans, managing to deflect the disappointment of his flock away from himself, and instead back to God. Next, Segment 2. Who's your daddy? The paternity test shows Nikki's father is... Hot Dog! Tyrrell slugs him, the audience goes wild, and Baltar's ratings go through the roof. Zarek has his own scapegoat to draw the disenchanted populace over to his side. Blaming the Adama Roslin administration for their troubles, Zarek plants the suggestion that perhaps some other way, read as his way, would be a better option. What the hell that option would be, since without the Galactica they're fracked, no one seems to consider. But the tensions lead to mutiny on the Tilium fuel ship. It jumps away, leaving the fleet without any gas. Adama orders Zarek arrested and confronts him in the brig that has been the home of oh so many colonial presidents in the past few years. Setting a file that details Zarek's selling of his office, Adama coerces Zarek to reveal the whereabouts of the rogue fuel ship. Adama's hand is a bluff, but Zarek capitulates this time. But Zarek's scheming isn't done, and he has a new recruit, Geta, once again blindly glomming on to a charismatic leader. Felix, Felix. Where are Adama and Roslin as Zarek's machinations take root? Fracking. Happily oblivious to it all, whispering sweet blah-blahs in each other's ears. Roll credits. Fantastic. The only thing I would have added just for a snark would have called him at that little point where he talked about him selling the office. Said Adama confronts Rod Bogoyevich Zarek <laughs> for selling his office. That would have been very topical, yes. Some again. Where do we begin? I mean, let I, me just say. I almost wish that I had interviewed Ron more before I had done this episode because now, after I hash into this one, I might never get a chance. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, you know, I will say I have gone a roller coaster on this already. When it was over, I'm like, interesting. I have a few quibbles. 48 hours later, I was like, I've contemplated too much and I can't stand this episode. Partly because I think that when you've only got 10 episodes left, there need to be payoffs, not fillers and setups. But now I'm back to, as long as the payoffs come, I can see this episode working. But there's also still some just some major issues I have, I mean, but I can't say it's completely wrong. I Maybe was, it's like a kindler, gentler me. <laughs> That's hard to imagine. Exactly. I just, I really didn't like this episode. I There's just so many things about it that just, I, I didn't feel, how, how do I even think? I think that sums it up. Yeah. I think the fact that it's hard to form like a, eh, about it. It just, it didn't grab. Part of it is just because one of the things that I said at the outset of this season, or half season, that I didn't want to happen, seems like it is happening. And that is all the same old confrontations between government and military and Mm -hmm. things like that. And I guess what it is the most that I'm feeling is a disappointment. Because, as I've said, at the end of the cliffhanger, the writers could take the show anywhere and I held out a hope that they would find some really creative thing to propel the story to a conclusion. 
And I don't think they did. Do they go and they find Silent Earth and they find clues there to tell them where to go? That didn't happen. Would Cavill arrive and stir up things and scatter them a bit? That didn't happen yet. Would they pass the moon and see a lunar base with clues about the whereabouts of other outposts out there? And by the way, again, why was there no moon? That didn't happen either. So I just feel like out of all the options that were on the table, they picked one that they returned to one too many times before already. We've already seen the episode where Marines go into Colonial One and put a gun to the president's head or the vice president's head and say, we're arresting you. Saw that already. Uh, We've seen the episodes where they have contentious arguments between major characters threatening to split the, the fleet in two. Seen it. I'm hoping for something new. Now, you can file this either under shiny, happy Jason or contrarian Jason, but I would argue you can actually have both. Sometimes when people's worlds are shaken, what do they revert to? What they know. And in this case, the fleet only knows dissension and looking out for themselves kind of thing and hating the Cylons. That doesn't mean that after, you know, a cooling off period, maybe an attack by Cabell's forces that kind of wakes everyone up, they get back and say, you know what? live together, die alone kind of thing. Let's figure this out. I think part of this is just a natural reaction. Everyone kind of sees it. Zarek has always come across, as much as he wants to portray himself as this champion of whatever, I think his base instinct has always been to make himself look good and get what he wants. That's what he went back to. Mm -hmm. The Quorum went back to wanting to feel important. Gata went back to finding whatever leader he could. I mean, you've pointed some of it out. Everyone's regressing back to the mean after shedding it off because they thought they had found their unified purpose. So maybe they need to work through that for an episode or two. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I just feel like if that is what is the sole thing that is going to drive everything to a series climax, then I will be disappointed. I don't want to see four more episodes of the same thing. Right. Well, I will say, going back to a previous thing, that I'm really more and more liking your theory on how it ends with like a small band of survivors. My problem is I'm finding it harder and harder to figure out which of the main characters I would want to survive. And granted, it's great that there's no perfect character and they all have their flaws, but the flaws are just becoming so magnified. Outside of at this point, and maybe that's just because we really haven't seen much of them, are we sending Hilo and Athena off to start the new race? Maybe, I guess, Six and the baby, if that's how it works. But seriously, Adama, any of the Adamas, Gata, Starbucks. I mean, who's the good colonial at this point? I talked about Athena, maybe Boomer now, just because, you know, more Grace Park on the screen is great. The greatest scene ever was like the 50 naked Grace Parks. <laughs> um You would think if you were to pick a character that you would like a female from the human side to survive, you would have picked Duala. So they screwed us on that. Are there any redeemable females on Galactica now? Rosalind's old and dying of cancer. I mean, they've basically eliminated any attachment to a human female that we would have as far as like continuing the race. Right. That's true. Good point. I'm just running through a checklist of female characters and Starbuck. No, there's like minor ones like racetrack or whatever, but. They're yeah. not nearly developed enough to like. Right. There's there's no major on. female in the fleet now outside of the Cylons that we have attachment to as far as ones that would survive in your theory. So mm. you know, it's, I'm, I'm intrigued mm. by that concept. Speaking of Adama, did you have any sort of thing in the back of your mind that made you wonder if they weren't setting up now, laying things out 
that Adama might, in fact, be the dying leader that's going to be? Could be. And as I said in the previous time, we've seen it before. We've seen it in... The only one I could think of under pressure during the last taping was Star Wars. You know, you were supposed to the Force. Well, he did, just not directly. But then you've also got in the Old Testament, you know, they always prayed for the leader. And they kept getting the leaders they thought they needed. But it wasn't the right leader for generations. And this could be it. Maybe everyone interpreted the prophecy correctly. They just applied it at the wrong time. You mentioned Zarek. I guess my disappointment with Zarek in this episode, and maybe it's just my perception of what I thought the character was, they set him up in the beginning as a freedom fighter of sorts who stuck to his beliefs and he was put in jail for it. And I think that's how they actually sold the character to Richard Hatch, perhaps. For him to be just someone on the take. Naked power. Naked power. It almost seems like rubbing away some of the complexity of the character to me. A regression, really, for characterization. You can also go to the cliche, under pressure, people become what they really are. And you can argue that the way this is written, anyone in a leadership position, hell, the whole fleet's been under pressure for four constant years. So Zarek may have been a freedom fighter when it was on a planet, and he's trying to free his planet. But all of a sudden, under pressure, it's like, how do I survive? How do I get the most out of this? Mm-hmm. It's just a personal bias with me, but I like for character arcs, once they've reached a certain level, a certain strata, for them not to regress too much. Like when he was on New Caprica with Rosalind, and they were both in the truck about to be shot, there was a beat with them, and they had a moment. Oh, yeah. And I I like that. I'm like, this, to me, is a good point at which the character has arrived, where he realizes, you know, I did a lot of crappy stuff in the past. Here we are now. I wish it hadn't been this way. And, yeah, I can see some regression, but, God, it just seems like all that didn't even, it was just wiped away. And, again, maybe it's just... Something that they're setting up for a reason, but I feel like it's a little bit of a shortcut for them to introduce this guy who's the bad guy. And and it's there. The, the stuff that he's done in the past, it supports it. For me, it just it feels a little bit that they're amping it a little bit too much. I haven't seen enough to make a complete judgment on that yet. Maybe it's almost like I'm waiting. I'm not blah about the episode. I'm just, I'm torn about it. I don't know. It's almost like it's a it's an incomplete at the moment. Like, <laughs> if this one had said to be continued... It wouldn't have phased me a bit because I was left going, you know, there's a lot of setup, but there was no immediate payoff. The biggest revelation apparently was that Nikki is not one of the hybrids. And that almost seemed like a writing of convenience. Like we can't juggle two hybrid children and a full Cylon child. So we've got to figure out a way to cut this population down. Gee, nobody really liked Callie when she was on the show. Let's just keep kicking her now. Yeah, I thought that was such a huge cop-out. One of the reasons... It did seem so. Like, well, we can't ride ourselves out of this one. We'll just come up with some thing like this. And someone was like, wait, how do we explain that she was the father? Well, they're on the planet and they're... Oh, well, let's see. Cottle says, before you were married, she found out... I was like, what? So she was, like, sleeping around with Cottle? Yeah, she's on her way to marriage and she's sleeping around? Again, that's another example of where did they pull that out from the character? We never saw anything like that. Plus, I thought it was such a, a groin punch... Literally, after they had just done what I thought was an amazing ability to pull comedy out of this depressing situation, because Tyrrell standing up there going, well, then we, I mean, that would you like a scorecard or something? I mean, <laughs> they actually got a moment of comedy out of this very depressing setup. And I'm like, that's great. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that is such a downer. And not because I'm like disappointed for the show. I'm just disappointed, like, 
that's the best you could do? What, you picked the ugly child and made him not the hybrid? What? <laughs> Come on. And then, okay, and if you're going to have a not hybrid and then have someone declaring that their child is the future, well, I want to be seeing some Hera discussion pretty soon. Mm. Yeah, that was killed me. And now that Ty has gotten six pregnant, are we going to see a scene where Baltar walks in and sucker punches Ty? Yeah. As I've said many times, that's always been an issue with me. Why doesn't Baltar ever... I mean, not much to, less go down to speak to, but even think of at all Caprica Six. Well, yeah, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to leave his room to get it now. Yeah, he's got like a ready-made line there. And as much as I like Baltar, and I think obviously Jamie Callis is a cool actor, was before, will be after. The current Baltar storyline is really just the least interesting. I don't know where that's going. His little speechifying starts, and it's like, I start doing other things until that scene's over. I didn't buy that scene because, and this is piles on from the discomfort I have overall with the episode, just all these little things which to me didn't vibe right. It was every time in the past when Baltar has had any kind of doubt about God, Head Six would be there, grab him by the balls, or just do something to him to shake him up and say, no, this is the path, wake up. And he'd be like... Uh, I, 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 yeah, and he'd come around. But here he is blatantly blasphemizing, is that a word? The God, and Head Six is nowhere to be found. But remember, this goes back to the planet. His God was leading his flock to Earth, and the Earth they found wasn't what he in his mind had been led to believe they were going to find. So maybe now he is really upset with his God so much that it's overpowered Head Six. And again, I think it goes, I think you've said this, the one thing Baltar is great at is saving his own skin. So by having everyone buy into God is doing this and I am the messenger, mm-hmm. well, now to save his own skin, he's got to blame it on God, no, not I, on himself. No, I thought that was brilliant. And maybe I didn't convey Sometimes. it as well in the recap, but I thought he was the one out of all the people who was able to twist it around so that, hey, not me, guys, this other thing. And this is and what's confusing the hell out of me. I keep saying more and more lately that Brian was right, and that's really <laughs> messing with my world. <laughs> um, but but that, all that is true, but I still feel that, again, maybe it's just they were lacking time, but I would have had a little beat of a scene where Head Six pops up, and she's like, what are you talking about? What's going on? And he ignores her, or just something. And it would have been an interesting dynamic just to have that. I mean, speaking of other scenes that I wish would happen, Adama and Ty, they're almost like water under the bridge. It's almost like the whole asylum thing they had last episode. There's no more of that anymore. I'd like to see more. And it doesn't have to be them fighting. I just would like for there to be a scene where the two of them are sitting there and Adama's like, so do you remember anything weird early on? Did you really graduate from whatever college? Did you? And Ty would be like, you know, I... I I really feel like, I, you know, he, just something like that, just to like set it up that they're, yeah. he's still grasping with it. But it, see, I buy that more. And again, not try, I don't know if I'm just being contrarian. Their relationship has always almost been one of an understood respect and admiration, even to the point of like protecting when you screw up. So it's like, it goes back to Ty's line in the hangar when the four of them first realized it, which was basically on the lines of, screw it, I'm a colonial officer. I'm not different. And Adama's going to buy into that because he needs him, too. If Adama's, like, having his little issues now, this is, again, Ty's chance to step up and say, frack it. I'm a Cylon, but you know what? This is my job. I protect the people of this fleet, and this is what we're doing. Frack it. I can't believe I said that. (laughs) (laughs) 
I find that after I go to a, a convention or an event like the thing in Los Angeles, that I start using the frack a lot, just in yeah. regular everyday conversation. Right. By the way, the scene I wanted to see, which I thought would have been funny, but I know also know why it didn't happen, was when Zarek or Gata was all like, you know, the quorum voted, the, the ships don't have to accept this technology, would have been for Adama to say, fine. And then in a few episodes later, we see a scene where... 40% of the fleet has the silent technology, 60% don't. Cavill's forces attack, and Dama says, all right, if you've got this technology, let's get the hell out of here. Exactly. Now, all of you that chose to fend for yourselves, I apologize, but we can't protect you from this. You had your choice, and you made it. Right. And then the next episode, Survivors, 18,000. <laughs> well, this goes back to yeah. what I was saying before about how we have seen this plot line before. They had a thing in the past where they said, well, we can do it this way or we can do it that way. And the this way was, well, if you want to survive, yeah, that's what you do. If you want to just do it just because you want to be contrarian, then you do it the other way. And yeah, okay, you don't invite the Cylons in, which again, not even any debate. Do they not recognize the Cylons are different now that they've right. given up their the immortality? Yeah. So We had the scene where Athena interfaced with the ship and saved the fleet before. The Cylons broke off and helped destroy the resurrection ship, making Cavill mortal. They gave them Earth, and yet because Earth was nuked, completely unaware of you know anything that these Cylons did, they go back to all the good stuff's forgotten. We're going to go back to the point where your Cylons and Cylons nuked our planet. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're saying there's no credit for good behavior since and helping save your ass since. <laughs> okay, fine. One thing, and I'm encouraging both calls, emails, anybody else that noticed this besides Michelle's husband and myself, the Tilium ship, when the Raptor pulled up in front of it, the Tilium ship looked like a Cylon. It's plain as day. Was that a CGI mistake? I have to believe it was, because if there was a ship that looked like a Cylon head, <laughs> wouldn't they have said something about it before? Or am I just crazy? And like I said, I don't know. I want to know other opinions on this. Did you see it? And was it a mistake or did it mean something? I didn't notice it when I first watched it, but on a rewatch, I agree. In the front of the ship, that is the... Like the Cylon Raiders. It looks like a Cylon Raider. It's a little different. It's obviously not the same, but... Right. It's got the same horizontal the, bar the cross. The circle and the heart. Yeah, it's um, it's there. Yeah. It's so there. Especially because we just went through the whole thing about how they found the metal Cylon head and it was a little bit different. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, see, there's another one. It's the same design, just a little <laughs> different. I do have a major complaint, but I'll wait on that one okay. before we wrap Let's up. Let's play a voicemail from Dustin. Hey, guys. This is Dustin, um, regular viewer. And once again, and as always, I want to re reiterate how, how much I appreciate the most intelligent Galactica podcast around. Just a few things about the new episode, The Disquiet That Follows My Soul. Well, they, they wrapped up that potential plot point of Nikki being one of the first generations of silent human hybrids pretty quickly and, and but probably not too neatly. But I also think this is a way of, you know, pushing Kirill away from the human world and to the Cylons, even if he doesn't want that, because he's rapidly losing everything, everything he had that um, from his old life. He, you know, he, he lost his wife, he lost his job, and now he finds out his son isn't his. Although I don't think he, you know he's going to abandon Nikki. Also, um, yeah, and the quorum was annoying as always. What uh, Brian has said in the past about how annoying the quorum is. Uh, yeah, he could, he could have pulled that, those opinions straight from my brain. Again, they act like they still have their 12 colonies, you know, and they act like the human race isn't struggling to survive and, you know, has to do whatever it has to do to survive, you know, and so, you know, I mean, I think the Silence kind of proved themselves by 
removing their mortality, and I think it's a good idea to have all the twos, sixes, and eights on your side if more ever show up, because the silent civil war is presumably still ongoing. So yeah, they annoy me. Okay, keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye. I think that's a really good point. They've been slowly removing little, the whatever strings of attachment that Tyrrell had left to the fleet. They're taking them away. And in my mind, this is setting up a reunion with Boomer in some manner. I think he and her will somehow reconnect. And see, I'm thinking Herbert Jefferson Jr. there for a second. <laughs> You've got to let go of Herbert Jefferson. He is, he's the Boomer. Okay. He will reconnect with, with his spot, with, with his Grace Park Boomer. Wow. That's brilliant. <laughs> no, that is. I didn't even think about that. Just the piece by piece. Just a different angle on that, too, by the way. And this also goes back to my thing about Ellen, kind of a bluff final five. Also, what needs to be addressed is if I don't see Tori and Sam again soon, then I'm convinced that the final five was a big red herring because you can't make such a big deal out of it and then just completely make two of them disappear, mm-hmm. except in previously seen <laughs> ons. Is Tori just walking around Colonial One giving orders without anyone of the quorum, like, trying to stab her? Could Sam sleep in the crew quarters now, knowing that everything's going on? I mean, come the frack on. (laughs) I need an episode devoted to Hera, Tori, and Sam, because I've been led to believe for multi-seasons now that these people are important. But if you're not really in the first two episodes of the final season, you can't be important. Tyrrell and Ty have gotten so immensely nuanced now, it's fantastic. But to not also see just a little bit of development on how Sam and Tori are going through this, other than Tori, like, embracing the full, like, kill human thing. Do we even know if Tori's living on the base star? I assume so. You're right. Yeah, she probably stayed on the base star. Yeah. You're right. I said colonial woman. You're right. She's probably on the base star. But Sam, he seemed to be taking the tie route. Like, mm-hmm. screw it. I grew up on this planet. I'm one of these people. But like I said, if that's his belief... Well, then it seems like he better watch his back walking around Galactica now. How about Gita? Now, Michelle came in and she said Monday morning, Gita is dead to me. The thing that I'm curious about Gita is, like you said, he reverts to the mean. He's finding someone to latch on to in an ill-advised way. But I'm now putting this in context of the webisodes because in the webisodes... I'm trying to place when they occurred, and I don't think the webisodes nine days happen after yet. Like they're talking yeah. about the silent technology running their ships. I don't think that has occurred yet. They haven't implemented it yet, so it it hasn't happened. And the Gata in those episodes seem more like the Gata from previous seasons to me. He didn't have quite this animosity yet towards the whole Cylon Alliance. Once he gets back from the murderous jaunt, he is shaken up and he has a new opinion. Two issues with that. One, it bothers me that we have to refer to the webisodes in discussing the season. Those need to be completely independent, not integral. And I'm not saying it's integral, but I feel like there's a part I have to finish watching the webisodes on to understand what's going on, and that shouldn't happen. And I thought there was a danger when I started watching the first one, and it said like nine days after, and I realized that they were working this into the timeline. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the previous episodes have been kind of independent, like in the middle of... And didn't really have a major impact that we, you know, no impact per se. Finish your thought before well, I two things. do one my is, rant. Two things. One is that Racetrack was talking to Hoshi as they were looking for him. And Hoshi was saying how attracted him to him is that he had this moral core. This episode, where did that moral core go? He almost seems like he's abandoned it. The second thing is he goes to tell Adama something. 
Is it related to Zarek? Is it related to his revelation that the Cylons absolutely cannot be trusted because they're just inherently coded to defeat humanity? How does that influence Zarek's schemes? I'm just curious how they're going to work it in. You know what? Maybe the Cylons were never encoded intentionally to attack man. Maybe the Toasters and Cavill, so to speak, were like a defective program that turned on man. It's their version of how. <laughs> Maybe that's what we find out at the end, that the Cylons were never meant to do this. It was, you know, faulty code, so to speak, or something like that. But, okay, I'll just go ahead and get it out of the way now. I do have one issue with the whole Gata turn right now, and that this is the second time, and I'm not sure why, and I know it won't have a big opinion on boycotts or future shows since this is the last eight episodes now, but this is the second time where we've had one of the members of the human race who turned on his people, so to speak, or her people, turn out to be gay. What's up with that? I just find it to be a dangerous line. We all kind of knew Gaeta was gay. They made it official in the webisode, but now to have him be like Benedict Benedict Gaeta coming on the heels of Michelle Forbes, evil admiral. Oh yeah, by the way, she's a lesbian. (laughs) Right. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't know if there's a thought process or just an oversight, but it just, and maybe I'm being too PC, but it just strikes me as wrong. I agree. Because there is a whole class of people in this country that believe that for real. I agree with you. I've ranted a long time about how Kane was a really poor choice for their first gay character to be off the charts homicidal. And when they brought up Gaeta, I was like, okay, this balances the scales a little bit. He's, as Hoshi said, he has a moral core. I'm like, okay. The equation is, I don't think it balances the force is back in balance. He has the balance of the force. <laughs> now, it's like, it's not nearly the level of it's a war dis- crimes. It's that, a disillusionment. Yeah. But it's it, still. It's not the level of what Kane was doing, but it's still, you have to wonder. Why would they take that path? It kind of reminds me of the heroes downtimes when every female character was evil or helpless or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so to these writers, every gay character must be the one out to defeat humanity from the inside. And I know that's an overstatement, but it just boggled my mind that when I saw it head in that direction, I'm like, really? You're really going to go there? And maybe what they'll do next is have Gata become the hero again. That could be why he's going to see Adama. Maybe it's a fake out. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, like I said, it may be too PC and it's probably too much of a ramp for it. But it just, my just first thought was, oh, you can't do that. There had to be someone else you could make the evil character without going after a certain stereotype. Make it hot dog. Yeah, he's innocent, (laughs) so to speak. All right. Before we get to our final rating of the episode, I'm going to play for you now a Plug for The Signal. They're back with Season 5. As always, The Signal is a great place to check out your Firefly and Serenity news and everything happening in the Joss Whedon-verse. You know what the first rule of flying is? Well, You're listening to The Signal. Well, we hope you are. We're back with Season 5. Shiny. Must be bad guys. Could be bumpy. Always is. And this year, we're going further than we ever have before to bring you the best articles, interviews, news, and reviews from in and around the world of Joss Whedon's Firefly and Serenity. I love this ship. I have from the first moment I saw it. 
What you care about is the ships, and mine's the nicest. It's love, in point of fact. She loves the ship. If you love Firefly, you need to listen to The Signal. With new writers, new ideas, new content. And loads of your favorite regular segments. Helping to keep Firefly and Serenity alive in the hearts of browncoats everywhere. Behold. Hold till I get back. Hell with this. I'm gonna live. The Signal. Still flying in 2009. Join us at... www.serenityfirefly.com I'm still flying. That's not much. That's enough. The Signal. Season 5. What was that? And I do want to note, we were guests on the Geeks On podcast, where we discussed Battlestar Galactica. That is now online, so you can check that out. I'll put the link in our show notes. Like I said at the beginning, I didn't really like this episode very much. Part of it was a regression to old storylines. Part of it was somewhat the direction. I just felt it just felt off. There was a scene where they hung on the image of that sonogram for what seemed like an interminably long time. There was things that just went on for a long time, like Adama's toothbrushing. I'm like, what? I, it felt strange to me. And the act breaks were very weird. They weren't act breaks that held me with great anticipation about what's going to happen next. I just didn't feel an overall tension with the episode. I was kind of on the fence whether I really felt this was a bad episode or just I was disappointed by the episode. I guess you have managed to allow me to see a little bit of glimmer of light in it, so I'll give it a C-. minus. I was not happy with it, and it had a lot of problems, but it didn't sink quite to the level I thought it did on first viewing. And after watching it a couple times, I did notice that there was value in some of the character and plot arcs. I liked that they had the basically three couples. There was Ty, Caprica, Rosalind Adama, and Gata Starbuck, of all people. And they each had scenes where they hashed out things together or they expressed feelings a certain way. So I'm hoping the next one's better. Yeah, through it all, BSG is kind of like the good student that's demonstrated it can do the work. So while this is probably a good episode for a lot of shows, my expectations would have to give them a C on this one. It wasn't as good as I've come to expect it to be, but it's not as bad as I probably would talk myself into if I was really just in a mood. If they answer questions that were raised here and and fill some things out in the next two episodes or so, this may be like the link in a couple really good episodes. By the way, one last thing, and again, I don't want to talk about it right now until I get some opinions from outside maybe, but anybody who listens to this, do a Google search on Dirk Benedict's blog, The Original Starbuck. And just read his little rant about old BSG versus new BSG and how he thinks that, like, is kind of an, a, a microcosm of the, what, liberalization of America and how we've weakened to our enemies or something. I can't even explain it. <laughs> I just need someone else to, to read it, and I'll go back and read it again, and, and maybe we can just get some emails on it or something, or I can kind of talk my way through it as well. The wussification of all the characters. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's a little stream of consciousness that I'm just like... bow to the female... Yeah, I don't want to get into much. Just Dirk Benedict blog. You'll find it. Trust me. (laughs) All right. All right, that should do it for this episode. Our website is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gcorm at gmail.com. Please leave us a message at 301-358-5175. 
The Jump Clock is running. See you next time. Later. Bye. All right. Thanks, man. Rock on. That was good. Thank you. No, that worked well without Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> All her services are no longer needed. <laughs>